Welcome to episode four of the Creative Hub. So today we've got Ollie Newton in, who's got uh, an amazing story. Um, there's, he does so many things, but we'll get into that as the uh, as the podcast comes. So let's introduce Ollie. So talk about what makes Ollie Ollie. So let's go back to the childhood, where you went to school, where you grew up, and how you got into what you're doing today. Yeah, so probably going right back to when I was probably six or seven years old, I, I knew that there was I was a little bit different from the other kids. Maybe not as different as I thought I was back then, but um, I, I was having, I kind of got caught up in these little sort of rituals and routines um, at a very early age. I remember walking down a street uh, in Menorca after I'd been out for a meal with my family, and I touched this uh, lamppost with my right hand and carried on walking, and then probably about 100 metres down the road, I had this this overwhelming fear that if I didn't go back and touch it again, that my whole family were going to die. I ran back as fast as I could, touched the lamppost. My dad was chasing me, I remember. Uh, and I honestly believe by, you know, doing that one little act that, you know, I kept my whole family alive. But like sort of really little did I know back then that was it was going to be the start of something that, you know, it was going to materialise in something that was quite challenging growing up. Through my teens, I was doing like sort of multiple checks of my my wardrobe on an evening, uh, I was having to, um, I think I'd seen a film on monsters and I was like certain that there was monsters in my cupboard and I was doing these checks, but every time I made a mistake on my checks, uh, on my evening, like sort of routine and uh, it just added another ritual into the following night. And it got to a stage, it was taking like an hour and a half to get into bed on a night. I was eight, nine years old and that carried on into my sort of like my teenage years as well. And sort of like caught up in these really strange, like, rituals and mm. um stepping on grates doing things in order if i'm really honest with you like life was was amazing i grew up in a, a lovely area i was very fortunate and had amazing family amazing support amazing people around me um but you know they were all sort of there sort of in the background frustrating annoying but not really debilitating it was just more i was able to sort of control it right. I couldn't really talk to anyone about it so like i really regret that you know growing up i could have had conversations with my family and my, you know, my parents about you know the impact that these thoughts and feelings were having on me because they were scary. Like there were, you know, it did, it did feel like if I didn't, you know, complete one of these little rituals or one of these compulsions that all, you know, something bad was going to happen to somebody. But it just, you know, I sort of managed to, to sort of scrape through um, mm. and sort of stay on top of it really, probably right. through sport and, you know, PE, I was really into, I was always doing sport, always looking after myself and without realising it, these, you know, these little coping mechanisms that I had in place were, were really key to sort of keeping me going and keeping me afloat during my early years. I yeah. Think. Was it sport then that you said was the, the driving factor for you that made you feel better in that situation? 100%. I think, you know, I, I mean, it's only probably over the last couple of years, I've really looked back as far back as that and thought, you know, why wasn't why weren't these problems as sort of prominent as, you know, or as, as sort of debilitating as they became in my later years? Why, why was I able to sort of control them better? Mm -hmm. And there was sort of like a period of my life between the age of like 16 when I finished school, cause I didn't, I didn't stay on for further education up until maybe 20, 21, where it was, it was almost like a, you know, like a boiling kettle about to sort of explode. Mm. Really. It was like the, it was, it was, you know, there were things happening internally. I was drinking. I'd stopped. You know, we discover sort of different ways to to sort of manage cope. life and cope. cope. And 
yeah, I was making the wrong choices. I wasn't, you know, looking back to, you know, that when I was 16 to sort of 21, it wasn't really me sort of going out drinking and, and, and like, you know, to, to a level where it was like enjoyable. I mean, I was having fun, but it, it was, I was always taking risks. Yeah. I was always drinking way past the point. And it was very clear that, you know, these things were just there. Like these problems internally were sort of boiling up and getting worse and worse. And yeah, it wasn't, you know, it, it was, not long, long after sort of my 21st birthday when really my life just totally fell apart, to be honest. If you don't mind talking then, what happened after your 21st birthday? Yeah, so 21st birthday, probably about a year after that, I I was sort of like, I I was settled. I'd I'd, I'd sort of fallen into a relationship and, you know, I was was happy at the time and I was not drinking really as much as I as I had been sort of, and it was, it was helping me a lot. I, I, you know, I, I sort of, I was recognizing, I was having to sort of ask really weird questions to like the person I was with, like always wanting to know about like things I didn't really want to know. And I was just, I don't know, I, I started to become a little bit different and, right. you know, these little sort of rituals and routines started to creep back in. Mm-hmm. Um, I was having, I was starting to have these like thoughts of, certain things which were you know I was uh, you know which sort of didn't really s- sort of sit with me and you know and it was like I was always sort of yeah I was I was I was sort of kind of struggling a little bit um to sort of adapt to sort of reality um but I went on a night out and it was over it was something over nothing it was actually you know it was a um a night out I probably had four or five pints wasn't really I wasn't particularly drunk but one of the lads who we were out with was drunk who was sort of a, a friend uh, within my friendship circles and you know up until that age I'd say I was that I was actually that person really that brought everyone together you know I was a person mm. who um who was the sort of gel between many different friendship groups I had big friendship groups had you know um but they were all almost brought together f- through me and mm-hmm. everyone you know sort of came together in that respect and um, yeah, and after a night out, we went on a night out. One of the lads who we were with, he, he he cheated on his partner, and, and sort of the girls and the lads were all friends, so we all sort of knew each other. Didn't really sit with me. Didn't really sit with anybody in the friendship group. If I'm honest with you. His response was, "I I don't remember doing it, so it didn't happen." And that that some just triggered something internally for me, um, right. and that set me off on this this downward spiral that was going to last actually 10 years where, you know, I was, I wasn't that person I was anymore. All of a mm-hmm. sudden my life totally changed. Um, and it was because of what his response was, but also because I started to all of a sudden doubt myself, even though I knew I was, m- my morals were incredibly high and knew I never hurt anyone, knew I'd never do anything unlawful and never cheat. I'd never, uh, all these things I, I despised, but, um, my mind all of a sudden was saying, what happens if you've done something and you don't remember doing it? Yeah. And, and that was it. And it was just what if from then onwards and what if this, what if that I could watch the news and someone had been attacked down my road uh, or, you know, down within a couple of mile radius. And then my mind would be like, you were near there at that time. Could that have been you? Could you have done that? I can walk, you know, I could walk past someone at a train station. I could, you know, be on the edge of a platform and I could see someone on the edge and I could have this thought. Imagine if you push that person and then all of a sudden my mind would convince me that I'd push that person. And then I spend three months convincing myself, you did push that person. You did push him. And, you know, we all have thoughts. We all have intrusive thoughts. The, the, the average person, whatever the normal person might look like mm-hmm. can just address that as a thought. And you'd know it was a thought and you'd move on. 
at this stage, I didn't know what was wrong with me. You know, now I know I had severe OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, which is a disease that's very often trivialized. There's a massive media misconception of what it actually is. It's not, you know, it's often looked at as being something quirk or a, I'm tidy or clean and you hear people say I'm a little that's bit the one thing I, That's the one thing I was going to say is OCD. Oh, you're really tidy, you're really clean and things have to be in that way. But it's so much more. Yeah, there is. There's that. a lot more to it. And you know what? You know, I can't blame, I can't blame anybody um, if I'm honest. And, and, and this whole, you know, journey, I'm not there to police people or say like, it's not, I'll always try and correct people and say, look, actually, you know what? It's, it's one of the top 10 most debilitating diseases in the world. Yeah. It affects probably one in 50 people. Mm-hmm. Not necessary to like as severe as, as I unfortunately had it. But, you know, the, it is a, it is, it's very sort of prevalent and it's very common, but it's also very misunderstood. And due to the sort of media misconception, it makes it very difficult for people like myself to actually understand mm-hmm. what is actually going on. I mean, I grew up in an era where we were watching things like obsessive compulsive cleaners. We were watching things like uh, we're, we were hearing... Beckham talk about lining his Pepsi cans up in a, in a, in the fridge, but that sort of took a little bit of a, you know, it made it look almost like it was a bit of a quirk. People yeah. were talking about, oh, I'm a little bit OCD because I want to line my screen up or I'm a little bit OCD because my house is really tidy. And Beckham's a really good example of it because Beckham, you know, they picked up on some things, some of the traits that he had, and they sort of made this whole like, you know, piece on it and 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 it was sort of portrayed in that way across the media and all of a sudden mm. everyone was talking about it lining things up oh i'm you know i do that i do this but you know he he he's, has it severely 100 percent. and you know i've seen stuff since you know where he's you know he he literally is tied in all day he's doing things you know he's, he's he's very he's a lot more open about it now but they're mm-hmm. not really they just wanted to focus on these little things same with tyson fury you know he's he's been through hell with it you know i've read his book i've listened to you know i hear him talk back and also really feel some of you know the emotional elements of the how he expresses himself some of the things he talks about and some of the things he did in the past which were awful like some of the things he said in the past were awful but to me is like i'm i always i almost question the fact was was that his ocd almost you know for for example like you know with ocd um people can have in, in very different levels, it can affect people in many different ways. There's things like ROCD, which relates to religious OCD. So it's yeah. like, you know, could it, could his, you know, his mind be telling him he was something he wasn't. And that, that's why he made some of the comments that he did. I mm. disagree with all the comments he made hundred percent, but I look back and I think to myself, it just makes a lot of sense. Some of the things, I mean, mm-hmm. it doesn't make sense, but you know, some of the, the bad things he was saying back in the days, but uh, you know, a lot of the people just don't really speak about, it openly and things like that like there's it latches onto your morals so everything you can think of that you're morally against anything that you despise it literally it creates these these false memories or this 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 sort of feeling and it's a feeling it, it may you know you think you have a thought and it like it your stomach drops and then you get stuck with this feeling and you can't shake it off and then yeah your mind's almost like sort of, sort of playing tricks with you and you know for me it's so was, powerful as well yeah, that's the thing 100%. it's so powerful that it can just overtake everything it can take every rational every rational thought that you might have and just over overpower it and go right you're thinking this i know and it does it just literally just it did it took full control of me you know to an extent where i was having to when i left the house i was having to document my every move i was using the iphone notes so i was having to at the time i thought it was a bit of a blessing because i could use the notes i could see you know exactly what 
I'd done it every every moment of the day, pretty much, you know, and it dated and stamped it. And it was a mass, it was a catalyst really for, for, for my problems. And actually I was just fueling the OCD. I was fueling uh, the problem. And yeah, I was, you know, having to, you know, my notes would be full on an evening. I'd get home, there'd be like a hundred notes. Things like been at a station or walking past someone at a bus stop, you didn't push them. Or, you know, you looked at a girl, you didn't, you didn't cheat on your partner didn't do anything you didn't you did you only looked at her I had to write things like like that in my phone mm. which is just unbelievable really like the mind can be that powerful and it's like you know i knew who how i was as a person and it's very common with people with ocd that your morals are a sort of like higher and than anyone else like the chances of you actually ever yeah. acting on any of your thoughts is like it's like you know you got like 99.9 percent less likely to ever act on it yeah <laughs> do you yeah. ever do you ever look at where you are now and obviously we'll get on to what you're doing now as a business yes. and all the amazing things that you're doing. Do you ever look back at those messages now and think, I'm so proud of where I am now? Um, do you know what? I, I, I don't know about proud. Um, I, I, I just feel very, very grateful because, you know, I was, you know, I, I made a few bad decisions. I moved to Spain for a period of time to get away. And the, the reason why I think I moved to Spain was because I was really worried about people seeing me, not how I was. And I think I was trying to get away from a situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but over in Spain, I didn't, I didn't quite fit in. There was probably a period of a very short period where I, I tried really hard to, but then it got to a stage where, you know, I couldn't really go out drinking with people because I was having similar thoughts. I couldn't do the things I wanted to. And, and actually on an evening, I was I was sometimes drinking just to sort of like numb the pain and actually try and get to sleep on an evening. Yeah, I was having, you know, with OCD, it sort of falls alongside like severe anxiety. I was I was in a state of depression and, you know, I'd, I'd probably find myself in a state of depression for 10 months of the year. And then, I'd you know, I might have three months feeling awful. I might have a couple of weeks off. And then I'd replace it with a different thought. Mm. And then it'd be straight back down that route again. Like, you know, severely struggling, not being able to really do anything. I was having suicidal ideation. Um, I didn't, I didn't, um, you know, there was, there was multiple times where, you know, I thought I didn't really want to be there. So I think really, I'm just grateful really that I was able to overcome what I was, what I went through. And looking back now, I do look back and I think to myself, you know what, like, I, I feel so lucky to be here. And there is more to life than yeah. than than just living like that and living through that, you know, them that you know, because I went from, like I say, being that person who the popular person to being, you know, effectively just cancelling everyone out of my life and just like a hermit in a shell and just couldn't do anything really. Like mm. you know, there was a period of sort of ten years of my life where, you know, I couldn't even really go for a drink with my dad to the pub. Couldn't you know, and, and, you know, and we'll get, get on to some of the things later, what the sort of things I'm doing now, but, you know, I, I look back on my achievements and they were the, they're the greatest achievements to mm. be able to go for a beer with my dad now, go to see my friends and have one, two beers. Like I'm not really a big drinker, um, because it's always there and OCD, you know, I'm in recovery and I think I'll always be in recovery. I don't think it's going to be something I'll, I'll ever overcome. I think it's always going to be a case of, how can I manage it? You know, it's going on all the time. Yeah, I've got thoughts all day long, but it's just I manage it better now. Going back to the Tyson Fury thing, where me and my partner are watching the the new Netflix show, and he says that, isn't it? it it's mental health is not if you become unwell, it's when. And it's how you manage it during that time. Absolutely. And, and how you manage. Yeah. I haven't seen know. the new one. My mate texted me last night saying, well, he's actually told me that you, he's told me I need to watch the new Tyson Fury documentary because he's basically me 
like the way he's behaving. I was like, oh gosh, that's not it. I don't know if that's a good <laughs> thing or not. Um, but um, the series, the, yeah, the, the, the new the... new series on Netflix, yeah, because I've read the books, um, and you know, I could really relate to a lot of his stuff with o- with OCD and um, yeah, mental health, mental health like related issues. They don't. You know, for some people, you know, there is two routes to sort of recovering and it's yeah. highly likely impossible that you can go down the route of, depending on what your illness is, mm-hmm. um, you can go down the route of, you know, seeing a therapist and, and taking medication, coming off the medication, then, you know, living a, a very, very normal life again. Like, you, you know, you don't, the, the recovery is possible and it's likely. Personal recovery is what I often talk about and it's like, my, and, and I think a lot of people with, mental illness sort of could relate to that journey it's every single struggle and battle that you face and it didn't feel like it for 10 years but now i realize you know when i do get like hit with periods of depression it might last a month or two months whereas before it had lasted you know six seven months Mm -hmm. so it's like you know you almost do prepare yourself better for the next time and you start to understand things better and you know it's it's a it's a proper journey in itself really yeah well, one thing you've just said then is sort of how to, you know, how to do it yourself, you know, and one of the things that you do is you run mm. and you run a lot. I do run a lot. Yeah. So let's, let's go into that then. So run for your mind is, that's like your baby. That's, that's, Absolutely. that's, that's you in a nutshell. So tell us a little bit about what run for your mind is, how it came about and let's go into that. Yeah, hundred percent. So I was, um, it got to a stage where I was somehow managing to hold down a job um, through the majority of my struggles. There was periods where I couldn't work and there was periods where I had long-term sickness. Mm-hmm. But there was a little bit of like sort of a, a moment uh, in my in my journey in 2017, um, which was sort of like 10 years into this whole um, sort of like, well, it'd been very severe and it'd been, you know, me not being the person I was mm-hmm. uh, before. And um, and I, it got picked up by work, and it'd been picked up, it'd been noticed, but I didn't have the really, I, you know, it wasn't really spoken of in in workplaces. Uh, and I do believe that it's a hundred, you know, it's a lot better, uh, it's a hundred times better than it was before. Like you know, the stigma, but the stigma's still there. And uh, in the workplace, in the workplace, yeah, I think mm-hmm. I think people are very frightened to sort of speak out about it. I think people are doing great things on it, but I think when it comes to sort of prioritizing your own health and, and taking that time off to which is going to help you is, mm-hmm. is, is a big thing for people because it looks like uh, people seem to think that it, management might see it as a weakness that will is that person capable of them progressing mm-hmm. are they going to take my workload off me when actually sometimes we need that workload actually to sort of um to manage the way mm. we're feeling yeah uh, and you know absenteeism is a is is one of them things especially with mental with mental illness where people just are very frightened to to sort of take the the, de- the time off they need whereas if they had um a cold it wouldn't be an issue or yeah. but then there's presenteeism what we talk a lot about now which is people who are showing up to work working all day management are thinking oh he's staying till eight o'clock at night he's he's brilliant you know he's, he's working two hours longer than everyone else but actually is are they working two hours longer than they should be or are they staying behind because they're not able to manage the workload that they're doing because they've got other things going on internally. And I mm-hmm. think we need to address that. And, you know, emails on a weekend, is that really a good thing? Oh, he's good. He's, you know, he's working really hard, but is he working really hard or is he struggling or is she struggling and not being able to manage what's going, you know, the, the work that they've got on. But yeah, for me, it was a, a massive turning point was when work p- 
picked it up and um, it was a manager at the time, a man, my manager called Rick and I'll, I'll never forget it because it, it sort of changed everything for me. He came up behind me when I was working. I'd always put myself in the corner because I didn't really like to be around people and I didn't like meeting rooms and then I'd avoid sort of, I could work from home if I could, I would, I'd be there, you know, when I could, I'd be there. Um, but yeah, he put his hand on my shoulder and he said, look, um, we need to, I need to talk to you. Like I can see you're not, you're not yourself. You're struggling. I said, I just, and, I, and the first time I really opened up to anyone at work, I just said, look, I can't, I cannot see, I cannot see um, past my thoughts. I can't, I cannot see what I'm doing. I cannot, I cannot physically do my job because all I've got is these thoughts going on around my head. I can't focus Yeah. because the thoughts were, they were, they were rapid. They were like literally, um, you know, constant, constant, constant barrage of like, you've done this. Could you have done that? You know, um, you're a bad person and, you know, and, and you shouldn't be here. You know, you need to give up. And it wasn't like words or pe- it wasn't a vo- voices, but it was all along them lines, you know, or, you know, thoughts based around things that, that I really despised. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So if you think about all the things you hate, if your mind is telling you that person, then all of a sudden it's like, you know, you, you're confused really. Yeah because you're not that person. And um, yeah, he said, look, we want to support you. He said, take three months off, the business will pay you. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah. He said, just go and get better and come back. And don't come back in three months if you're not better. Come back when you're ready. And I think for me, it was like, I had incredible sort of foundations around family and, you know, I had a partner who I'd, you know, had been with for, who who we'd actually met in the middle of this, who's been absolutely pretty much saved me from like you know from that uh and we did we tried a lot of stuff me and her you know we should try and get better we'd paid for thousands of pounds worth of therapy we'd paid you know we tried to sort of do the things again that you know i couldn't i could have done in the past but i couldn't do mm. and it wasn't working really to be honest and when i got signed off i just sort of had this it was more like i had i had her you know emma my wife i had my my incredible my, my incredible family that were supporting me i had a, a select number of friends but not the same sort of circles before but that was i blame myself for that because mm-hmm. i just literally you know i I'd, it wasn't spoke of mental health back then yeah as much like mental health problems related issues it was just all you know people didn't understand and people were you know I, and, and actually i didn't i didn't know how to explain it so mm-hmm. you know it's been beautiful sort of over the last couple of years rebuilding you know seeing these people again and explaining it and saying you know and and, and sort of like sort of catching up on the, the the years that we missed but yeah that having that backing from the business i woke up that next morning it was boiling hot outside and um i remember i used to wake up in the morning it used to take me like four hours to open my eyes so like i'd wake up at like seven because i could hear things going on around me seven or eight and then i'd go i'd probably get up about midday like 12 and as soon as i opened my eyes i knew i was going to get hit with these thoughts and I just couldn't do it. I couldn't face the day. Um, and it wasn't that dissimilar that day, to be honest with you. It was more like a couple of hours and I thought I just needed to do something. It was red out outside. I put on some old um, some old gym kit that I probably haven't worn for 10 years uh, and some old trainers and I just left the house. And, you know, I was never a runner. I actually hated running. Um, it just, just never appealed to me. I'd, I'd you know, I was, I'd, I'd tried it a few times in the past, but I started walking and then I started to run. And then probably after about 40 minutes, I was just hit with this feeling of, um, well, a moment's respite from the thoughts. I think I'd run about five kilometers in 40 minutes and like running, walking, running, walking. Um, and, you know, and ever since that day, I've just lived for that feeling. I, honest, I honestly believe that that little decision, that split decision I made that day um, saved my life because it was, and from there it's been, 
it's been an amazing journey, really. We're, you know, uh, within a couple of months, I set up Run For Your Mind, which you just mentioned. Had no idea where I was going with it. Uh, it was a um, set up as a mental health sort of support page on Instagram. I was, I was sort of like not really revealing my identity and I was talking about the struggles. And I had a, I had a little, one of them, bought one of them little DJI drones and I used to set it up and it used to follow me. And then I used to just do quotes on stuff and, and things. And it was, you know... But yeah, that got a bit annoying, that drone. I got rid of it um, in the end. But um, I start, then I sort of revealed myself and started talking openly, sharing the struggles, the battles I was facing. And, you know, at first I was thinking, look, I'll probably be able to help people with this. I'll probably be able to, which for me was quite a big thing. And I think it's very common with people with mental illness to sort of, you know, when you feel like you can't help yourself, you're trying to want to help other people. But then there's also the levels of don't take on too much because yeah. then, you know, you've got to think about yourself. But when... You want a different avenue to go down. I set, yeah, I set it up as so it's an Instagram page. We, we created a website. I started blogging. From there, it's just been amazing. You know, I, I was able to help people, but it massively in turn helped me understand what I was going through. All of a sudden, yeah. I was meeting people who were having these thoughts, and I actually thought no one is going to be thinking every time they look at a girl that they cheated on their partner, or every time they walk past someone they've hurt them or done something to, to them to harm them. But actually, you know, it's really common. And I started to meet people who had really extraordinary stories that link to OCD, like things like women who cannot bath their children because their mind's telling me, what happens if you did that? You know, what happens if you're, you know, you're a sex offender or you've done this something, you know, things like this that, are, you know, think about all the things you morally hate, you know, and and, and, it, and it does, it latches onto that. And then mm. I'm thinking, you know, how sad is that that you can't, you know, you know you'd never do anything unlawful, but your mind's telling you you can't even, and I'm like, whoa. And then, you know, people telling me that they're, the, you know, I've got a friend who, who I've met through um, through work who talks to me about how she, you know, it t- takes like an hour and a half to get to work because she every time she goes over a bump, she thinks she's ran someone over, so she has to get out of the car and check. And it's wow. like, it's a 10-minute journey. Do you know what I mean? So it's like Tyson Fury of some of the religious stuff, that some of the stuff that you mentioned about, you know, the, the homophobic stuff, which was just awful, but like was his mind saying, you know, to him, could you be, you know, interested in, in 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 men when you're married and you know along that religious OCD sort of element mm-hmm. of it I don't know who knows but you know you think about these things and it's like you know the it is it's it's awful you know what I mean it's a mm. but run for your mind's been for me it's been an absolute yeah it's been a blessing really you know I've been able to support thousands of people along the way and um and and we built a, a community we've got like about four thousand runners now across the world in this in like an online Strava club that you know, we, we, with people I've connected with along the way. And yeah, it's just been, it was very much the making of me, uh, if I'm honest. Where's Run For Your Mind taking you? So the first time we met was at a networking event in Leeds and you just mentioned that you were going to Canada. Um, so that's pretty massive. But your first talks that you did, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so it's it's been a bit of a, it's been, a, 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 you know, a very, it's been an incredible journey and for me and, and I don't, really understand how it's happened i look back and i think wow you know from being very much stuck in in a, in in the house and you know not being able to do a lot of things and mm-hmm. not been that person who i want to be and 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 what sort of running's done for me is you know it's it's i'll never be that person i was before but mm-hmm. it's created a much better person and i was always a very very good person but i just feel like now you know i'm on a bit of a mission really to to sort of try and you know to, to encourage young people 
adults to talk more about this and talk more about the struggles and, and, and have these open conversations. I think it's really important. But um, yeah, Run For Your Mind, it started off uh, sort of on the back of sort of about maybe two or three years. Um, I was offered the opportunity to speak at like a work event. Um, they wanted to hear like the untold stories of like the business. And I shared my story with Run For Your Mind and, and what I'd been through and, and, and the management there were just incredibly supportive they were like oh we want we think you should be doing this as a full time we don't think you should be working here which I thought was lovely and they put me on a course to become like you know to a a speaking course to become a speaker and it was like more like a TED style thing not really my sort of style of delivery um mine's I guess very vulnerable and I'm talking very to the heart and TED's very sort of structured and it was great though I got I learned a lot from it to Um, put for them to put you on it though like, what an amazing move company. from a company. Yeah. And, you know, they were, they were very supportive. When I came back from long-term sick, they, they sort of um, allowed me to have running breaks mid-shift. Wow. Um, they, yeah, they've been unbelievable support with a lot of my ideas. We set up run clubs around the business for during COVID we'd, and races, and we got maybe 150 people together going from non-runners to maybe some of them running up to like, you know, half marathon distance and, Wow. So it was wicked. Yeah, they've been they've been a very supportive company, and I was I was working for Skybet and Gaming. Uh, I can, I'm sure I can, I'm sure I can mention them, uh, and they were yeah they've been an amazing sort of very supportive company, and they've almost wanted me to to sort of follow this path, and uh, I got the opportunity to deliver a few talks around the business on the back of that, uh, and you know then from there when it went into sort of corporate, like I thought you know maybe I have got a message to share, and it was very relevant because it was COVID and everyone was stuck, and you know like we couldn't do much. And yeah, my first few talks were like, my first talk was um, to Microsoft Island, which was just yeah ridiculous. And then my second Your one, first talk. I know. So wow. my first real proper talk that I, you know, first booking. And then my second one was for Burberry across UK and Asia. So yeah, it's been wild really, to be honest with you. And I pinched myself, but you know, it's, it, it, it's, it's sort of the feedback and the stuff that I get on the back of it is, is amazing because it is, it's, it's sort of, creating conversations we don't have in and from there it's been yeah again from there it's gone from uh sort of delivering talks to 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 companies like i've, I've spoken to direct line virgin media you know i've worked with some really really big companies glacto smith klein um and it didn't feel like it was enough if i'm honest like it felt very quickly within probably six months of doing it especially when we got out of covid and i was doing talks in person and i was actually right. seeing visibly the impact I was having. Like I remember a talk I did for, for, for GSK on behalf of a company called Overbury, which is like a construction company. It was an amazing opportunity and it was in the, this auditorium and they'd hide out for my, for me to do this talk. And yeah, it's just madness. But, um, I, I ended up, um, it ended up in a sort of a split of construction workers and, and sort of your clinical sort of workers right. in Plateau Smith Klein. And uh, I, I walked out of the room and there was a queue of 15 people waiting to speak to me and they were all construction workers and some of them were saying to me things like you know i've lost one one guy the last guy he said he'd lost 15 friends since february of that year and we were we were in the end of may to to suicide right and that was you know within his sort of workforce within the construction industry industry. and i was just like it's just um, it's unbelievable like you know, the, the things that these people, the, especially in that environment where they're, they're probably not having the conversations like we're having in corporate, like corporate yeah. 
environments where you know you're seeing all this stuff done about well-being and what what you can do to help yourself mm-hmm. and, and 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 it's probably not as that's just not happening not, probably not i'm not saying it's not because i know there'll be companies that definitely do do it but yeah for me it was never enough and i felt like you know on the back of that i couldn't really go on being a speaker going in to corporate organizations delivering a talk and then being like see you later it actually felt like i was chucking in a grenade if i'm honest and triggering a quarter of the room and then just being like you know you go and pick up the pieces and I think that I'd also probably become not necessarily for that business, but for other businesses, I, I felt like I had become a bit of a tick in a box exercise for some, some of these big corporates. And right. am I just, you know, is it just, you know, you've got someone in to talk about mental health, but how do we, how do we then support the business on the back of it? And I had the opportunity uh, to train as a mental health first aid instructor through the MHFA, which has been a, the absolute dream for me. So I, I now not only can I deliver talks, but I can actually back it up with like an accredited course mm-hmm. and I can go into a, a, an organization. Yeah. We've just trained, um, 250 up in sky, at sky TV over in London, um, as mental health first aiders, right. uh, through, you know, through the MHFA England. And, um, it's been like, yeah, it's an, ama- it's amazing. So like now I can just go, you know, I've been delivering talks and backing it up with these with these training, but also creating sort of bespoke stuff for for, for, for organisations and doing a lot of stuff in schools. And yeah, I've just been to Canada as well, like you said. Yeah, that was uh, I had the opportunity to work with Tennis Canada, which is like their governing body. Um, and I was working in Whistler, uh, Calgary, and Vancouver with um, young athletes, sort of like age twelve to sixteen, who are high performing tennis players, uh, and you know when when you're sort of in that environment where you're not really in school much so you, you know you, you spend a lot of the time on the courts mm-hmm. it's just sort of preparing them um to be resilient and to you know talking about the quirks that come with with tennis and some of them relate to sort of ocd as well like you know yeah. especially when you're looking at sort of little rituals and things like that that they have and um but also helping them to understand like how how they manage their their stress and how they sort of to, to allow them to perform better and what things they can do to support that. Yeah. And then just talking about anxiety and depression and, you know, these things, because I, I, I actually believe, I strongly believe that a lot of my issues came within that period where, you know, school, you walk to school, you, you're healthier, you, you're doing PE, you're playing footy every night or you're playing tennis. I was in sport, I was doing everything. And then all of a sudden it stops. And I think looking back now, maybe they were the things that actually kept me going Right. And I think it's even more clear now that they were because once I discovered running, I've been able to sort of rebuild this different life. Um, so I was working with them. It was brilliant. You know, loved it. You know, working, in, especially up in Whistler, like in the mountains when the snow wasn't there, but there wasn't much snow, but just an amazing, amazing place in the world just to be and just to... Um, but then I was also working with the Canadian Premier League. I was working with um, uh, Vancouver F Football Club. So the Canadian Premier League has been going about five years now. They're, it's getting bigger over their soccer um, and Vancouver have just um, set up their own sort of their own football team, uh, right. Vancouver FC uh, last season. And I was working with the players and working, you know, with the manager, chatting to the manager and the directors and and, and did a talk to, to them, like the, the whole, you know, the whole group. And it was really interesting as well because they were like, oh, they probably won't say much to the lads. They don't really talk about mental health. But, you know, after the talk, the, the, there were so many questions. And like one of the guys who was there, Turned out he'd lost three of his three of his friends to suicide when he was at school. No one had spoken about it. So it's like, you know, they're not having these conversations because maybe they're not they're not sort of been spoken of. And actually but, they are. 
Patrice Ever said that, didn't he, on the diary of a CEO? He mentioned about being in the Man United dressing room and he wasn't, he was struggling and he wasn't going to say anything because that's just not what happens in a football right, yeah. dressing room. But obviously, with that team coming to you and saying, let's do a talk and let's let's be open about this. And then that person openly coming out and saying, yeah, I have lost friends. I, I have struggled. Yeah. You know, it shows that maybe they're on the right path to... No, you know, 100%. It, they are They are over there. And I think Canada is a very interesting country to work in. I think I do feel like the, the kids are very well educated. They knew a lot more than I expected them to, even at a young age. But also I feel like um, certain things we're doing over here may be slightly ahead of the game, but that that also means that there there's less... Well, one thing that's sometimes difficult with businesses over here is you can have a great idea and you can be going through the, the stages and it's difficult to get things signed off and mm-hmm. things take a long time. Over there, it was just like, let's do it. Do you know what I mean? And I feel like that's sometimes a good attitude to have and it really worked. And, you know, I'm looking at supporting sort of um, British Columbia tennis, Tennis Canada going forward, maybe looking to design something for the coaches to support the coaches and how to, because these coaches are probably with the kids more than they are, the, the kids are with the parents. So mm. it's like these signs and symptoms that I, you know, I speak about that a real sort of, you know, telltale, like, you know, they could pick this up, they could support them better. And, and, and another thing that's been huge for me in sort of my, my journey was, um, I, I was always told at school I had ADHD. I couldn't really focus like any of the other kids. I was up and about right. walking around. But back then, I think it was about sort of maybe three or four years old in, in relation to like ADHD being an actual thing and spoken about. And the people who had it were more, it was focused on behavioral problems when actually it's not about behavioral problems. We're starting to, you know, they've started to realize like over the last 10 years that, you know, it can impact people in many different ways. It's not just a troubled child who's behaving badly it's like you know for me it was like i started my business and because i didn't have the structure of my my old work like i was opening my laptop and i was like you know i knew i had a lot of work to do but i'd spend six hours sat there and then i might buy a few things on amazon but then i wouldn't actually do the work Mm. uh but you know last year thankfully um through you know speaking to someone who uh who who'd who'd gone through the diagnosis and speaking to someone who was going through a diagnosis uh, who I was working with picked it up, uh, you know, and said, look, you need to look into this. And I didn't want to wait two years. I ended up, so about a year and a half ago, I went and I paid to go and see a specialist in London. I got a diagnosis. He put me on medication for the ADHD. I got diagnosed the same day because uh, it was it was very obvious it was right. ADHD. And ADHD, having that diagnosis and having the medication actually has allowed me to really control my my thoughts weirdly so it's like i don't know uh, you know i've done a lot of research since and i think ocd and adhd can be very entwined mm-hmm. and i feel like looking back i'm not sure exactly which bit was which at some stages and they you know they very much sort of battle against each other yeah and wreak havoc in your mind mm. well that goes nicely then into because obviously we're speaking about what you was like at school and that leads nicely into the hundred talks for change Yes. Um, so this is something that you've spoken about, well, since since we've met, and it sounds amazing, but obviously I want that to come from you and not, not yeah. from me. So would you like to tell us a little bit about what 100 Talks for Change is? Yeah, so 100 Talks for Change um, uh, came, the idea, you know, I, I, I've been thinking a lot about how we can have a big impact and get into schools. And 
the difficulty with schools is they don't always have the the sort of the funding and how can uh, you know a lot of the business my business model now is sort of uh, with the business I set up which is lights on mental health is to is to sort of incorporate um like the, the sponsorship of schools with every corporate package so like if you but if you book me in for a talk now for your business then you'll also have the opportunity to sponsor a school on on um on on your behalf so Mm -hmm. i'll go into a school and deliver a talk on behalf of your business which is a great way of bringing the community together and giving back Uh, and we can support more kids along the way because it's it's, you know you know i'm happy to do talks for for nearly nothing for for schools because it's you know you get that opportunity and the impact you can have is you know huge sorry Um, sorry to interject we're we're actually speaking with sophie who was on episode three who was saying how you know during covid with um you know like people not being in nursery or kids not being in nursery and how there is a direct correlation to not mixing and not being with other other children and how that has maybe really not benefited them because they're not mixing with people they're not oh yeah and, and, and seeing what it's like for them they're getting agitated more they're getting angrier more you know and they need to get out and that sort of thing so you know that's where it starts isn't it so 100 talks for change you know going and doing what you come at at the ground level you know at the starting level yeah so we're gonna this year we're focusing on secondary uh, schools so 100 talks for change came up as an idea when you know i wanted to do something big that could have a big impact um, and we could potentially you know reach thousands of kids Mm. um uh, and then i brought a friend on board with me called danny daniel wilshire um who is um yeah an incredible speaker um really you know a great role model for these young people but you know he's he sadly lost his his dad to suicide when he was young you know he suppressed a lot of his feelings and 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 it sort of you know he took a, a bit of a bad turn he was went from being sort of head boy at school to to you know leaving school and you know not not being able to go to to study in college and you know maybe turn into like sort of drugs and drink and you know that side of things and um he's really turned his life around and um we, we had a chat and we'd been doing, you know, we'd been talking for a while and I said, look, I've got this idea. I want to deliver, you know, a hundred talks across the UK for free in schools. How do we do it? Mm-hmm. And he was like, this is brilliant. Let's do it because, you know, we want to raise money. So we're raising money for free charities. We're raising money for beyond suicide and co and, and young minds matter. Um, the idea behind it um, is, you know, we set off on the 12th of September. We're starting in Newcastle. We're going to work our way across the UK ended in London on World Mental Health Awareness Day, which is the 10th of October. We're delivering 100 free talks in secondary schools um, to 50 different schools, 20 academic days, um, and we're going to reach at, at least 10,000 young people. We're going to try and raise as much money as we can to support these, you know, these these charities that are doing incredible work in schools and supporting children. Um, but yeah, we we thankfully were able to get corporate back in to help us with the sort of the journey to to be able to sort of. Um, to fund like the hotels, to fund like someone filming and, and all that side of things. Um, so we partnered with Hayes, the recruitment company, um, which was amazing, really. Look, very lucky to have them on board. Uh, and, you know, we've got a couple more sort of, we've got Gravitate uh, as well, who are, who are, who are an accountancy uh, firm in, in Sheffield who are doing really some amazing stuff from the fundraising element. They're also sponsoring some of the talks we're doing in, in some of the schools. And, uh, and we've got uh, potentially another one falling hopefully going to fall in over the next couple of couple of weeks who um just before we go because we start off on the 12th but yeah the it's the reason why we want to do schools is because 50 percent of men, uh, mental illness starts before the age of 14 75 percent starts before the age of 24 
kids aren't really speaking about it. They don't know how to. There's a lot of things in schools with um, that I think maybe puts kids off, which is also a great thing to have, like the safeguarding element of it, but it also maybe blocks conversations from time to time. Uh, and yeah, we want to do something that's going to get these kids talking, maybe even in, you know, speaking to those around them, family, like, you know, about maybe some of the, the traits that we sort of talk about, because, mm-hmm. you know, for me, like I say, it started when I was seven. I'm not, I'm not saying that everyone who's got sort of them traits, because I know a lot of people probably listen to this and think, actually, you know what? I had them traits growing up um, and they're very common. OCD is very common. It's very prevalent, but you know, I'm not saying it's going to turn into, you know, the, the, you're going to necessarily go down the, the full on intrusive thought route and be severely ill for years on end. But there is a possibility that it could happen. So how yeah. do we sort of create them conversations early? Cause I feel like I went 10 years before I even spoke about those rituals and routines. Mm-hmm. And then I went a further, like three or four years when it became the sort of intrusive thought. Cause I was so scared of the thoughts and didn't really know who to talk to, mm-hmm. which, you know, looking back now, I think why it's been a lot, uh, you know, my journey may be very difficult is because I, I didn't really address them at the time. I allowed them to sort of, sort of be there and, 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 uh, wreak havoc really in my mind for such a long period of time that when it came to actually getting therapy and getting support sort of trying to retrain your brain to sort of think a different way when you've fought in a a, a way for such a long period of time it's you know it's going to be you know very very difficult so it's just yeah encouraging these kids to speak out like you know I always think that had I have spoken about these little rituals and why I was doing them when I was younger so my mum and dad understood them better maybe it would have been different maybe we'd have got you know and I wouldn't change my life I'm grateful actually for the battles I've faced and the position I'm in now, it's sort of forged a path into something that, you know, I could never have dreamt of. And, 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 and you know, it's, you know, I feel very lucky, if I'm honest, and, and happy to be here and still, you know, and, and, and living really more than anything. Like I'm living a life now that, you know, even four or five years ago, wouldn't, I would, couldn't have dreamt of living this life. So, yeah, so I'm sort of grateful for that. Um, but schools are massive, you know, we're going to, a massive thing for us. Then it means a lot to us. And the 100 Talks for Change is like a separate entity to our, our own businesses that'll sort of ties in really nicely with our biz- with both our offerings because Danny's yeah. also a, a speaker, one of the youngest in the UK. And um, it's just, yeah, the perfect way to sort of, and every year we're going to do something. So this year we're doing 100 Talks uh, in schools. Next year we're already looking at doing it across the NHS. Um, we've been having some amazing talks with, someone quite senior in the NHS who's been really interested in the idea, who's backing it and supporting it and supporting us internally. And maybe over the next year, that might be sort of something that we form a, we form a partnership with them. So to deliver, you know, a hundred talks in 20 days, we're going to have to deliver six talks a day, uh, five, six talks a day between us. And yeah, it's going to be an amazing journey. Looking forward to it. I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing the the documenting of, of it and, and just seeing, I don't know, just seeing someone doing something in the schools as well. Yeah, um, the concept as well behind it, which is really makes it even more exciting, is we are having, so we're doing the 100 talks, and then in January we're bringing um, a lot of the people back. We're having a big live event um, in Manchester. We're going to bring a lot of the students back that we've met along the way, and we're hoping that it encourages them to share their stories, whether it be through not necessarily speaking openly, but just to maybe like using their mechanisms of coping with their struggles, whether it be like music or dance or, you know, we're going to bring, you know, we're going to have a full night of, you know, sort of reflection and celebrating Mm. the students that have been a part of this journey. We're looking, we want to raise as much money as possible. Um, You know, we're we're sort of, 
shooting for the stars, but we'll see what happens. Um, I think it'll pick up. We, you know, hopefully it gets a bit of momentum. And um, I'm sure, I'm sure it yeah. will. No, I do. I think it will. I believe in it, and we've got some incredible people supporting it. And you know, to have that live event where we can show the documentary that we've had filmed to bring back some of these children uh, to share their journeys through whatever method they want, and you know, to share our stories a little bit with them, why it means so much to us. It'll be very special. Really exciting stuff happening in my world, and you know, I'm grateful that you know I can do this, and 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 you know, just. Just, yeah, love it. What do you think, it, it, looking at the school system, um, what do you think schools could put into place in order to help students a little bit better, you know, talk about their issues, talk about their, their mental health and, you know, just make it a comfortable place for them to do so? Yeah, I think I think schools have definitely changed. They seem to have more um, well-being leads in there now. Um, when I was at school, it was just a school nurse and, you know, if you'd you'd go in there if you'd even pretending to be sick and you wanted to go home or you um or you've hurt <laughs> or you've hurt or you've maybe bumped your, your elbow or something. Um but yeah there's there's seems to be well being leads in there now. Um there's you know doing stuff like getting I think having people in like, you know, like myself who can share real life experiences that are relatable is really important. I think mm-hmm. sometimes it's easy to go down the route of maybe getting a charity in to discuss something um as a whole, but actually I think a lot of children seem to connect with people and I think, it, you know, the, and, and having people who can, you know, share experiences and, and that's basically what I've been doing sort of with Lights On, you know, um, Lights On Mental Health. My my company is sort of forming a team of people who are, have all got their own experiences with racism and diversity. The experience we've got a person who was, um, who was trans and talks about, it, you know, his journey to, you know, and how difficult that was for him and eating disorders and things like that. And, you know, and, and having that in schools, I think is, is really, really, you know, having these conversations is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe they're doing more than before. I feel like there's better conversations now. The kids seem to be a lot more aware about of things than when I initially started. Um, but, you know, having sessions and lessons on managing things like stress and understanding like anxiety and, and depression and, and how it might present itself can not only benefit the children, uh, I think it can really benefit, you know, them understanding maybe their parents and things as well. It's just having real conversations, isn't it? Yeah. You know, if you if you do a talk and there's, there's um, you know, a, a child who's having thoughts and then you literally come in and say, I've had those thoughts before yeah. and it's absolutely fine. Well, and actually you, happened and, and in you, a talk the other week. So oh, really? Well, it happens all the time, but like not like this. It was in the inner talk and one of the kids goes, like I said, I was speaking and he just went, I've got that out really loud. And then everyone was like, he looked really like he didn't want to say anything else. Like, and he didn't need to say it out loud because he was like, he all of a sudden realized, actually, I don't want people to know about that. Do you know what I mean? So that's, that's, and he was, you know, a probably 14, 15 year old lad. And I tried to speak to him afterwards, but he didn't really want to sort of have a conversation around it. You know, I wanted, I didn't force anything. I was just like, is there anything I can do to support you? And I just, you know, I say, always say to them, reach out if you need any help. But uh, it happens all the time. You know, so many people can relate to these stories. You know, I'd recently did stuff in, in primary and it was amazing, like young, really young, like kids, sort of like um, seven, eight years old. And, you know, there was two kids there that were were struggling with OCD and it was impacting their day-to-day life. And their parents actually came in because they heard I was coming in. And then we had sessions with the parents, me and wow. the two, you know, individual parents and child 
uh, with them together. And then we, you know, I did, I, I spoke to a, another parent and it was just really beneficial for, because people don't see it and, and they don't think anyone else is, you know, when you, when you're going through, especially OCD, you don't feel like anyone else has got it. Yeah. So it's like, you know, you think these kids probably think that they're really alone with it when they're not. So to hear someone speak about it, I think it's, it's, it's so important. Like, uh, and you know, the stuff we were doing with them is, you know, I was doing little sessions in, on like, you know, managing stress, understanding like what, you know, what, what is anxiety and things like that. How does it make you feel But without it being too overpowering? I just think conversations, I, I don't know where they're at at the minute in schools as such, but I think conversations and, and normalizing suicide, you know, talking about the suicide as a, and not shying away from it all the time. Like it, what it seems like is, you know, the case, I think it needs to, more conversations mm. need to be had on it just so people are more, you know, because the, I think it scares people. The, the, the actual word itself, it holds a lot of stigma. Um, Something like that for me, because it, it's the same with anything, not, not to do with mental health or anything like that. It can be to do with, you know, losing weight. It can be to do with going out running. It can be, you know, with your mindset and things like that. You have to want to do it. You know, yeah. it, it, it's well and it's all good. Someone saying you need to do this and you need to do that, but you need to, you need to feel it yourself, 100%. you know? So having these conversations and like you say, it might scare people, but that, that scaring will trigger something and go, right. I need to speak to someone, Yeah, you know, and that, that kind of needs to happen in a way. Even just mentioning the word and then saying what sort of feelings does it provoke? Like why why are we sort of attaching, you know, why is it why is there so much weight on the word and mm-hmm. why aren't we talking more about it and, and how yeah. can we you know, how, what can we do to, you know, to to sort of support people that are either sort of bereaved or, or going through mm-hmm. going through, you know, that that you know, normalizing it in a way that, you know, these conversations are you, you know being and had like how how can we do that it's like you know a lot of stuff with the mental health first aid that we teach you know talking about yeah mental health first aid and how how can you find out if someone is having suicidal thoughts and the only way you can really find out is if if you ask them like you're not gonna you know like with any mental illness or anything that you you, it's very easy to mask how you're feeling Mm -hmm. and i did it myself for a year and then i just couldn't do it anymore and then i just locked myself away so it shouldn't come to that we need to have more conversations. We need to be, you know, we need to be able to support people better. Absolutely. So let's, let's spin that to business now. So sort of similar question. What, a, what's the sort of current state in a business? You know, what's the common struggle that you're seeing in a business, whether that be, you know, people working from home, maybe they feel a little bit isolated or people, you know, workload, which is overcoming every thought and it's me you know yeah. it's affecting their mental health i think i've got to sort of give credit for most of the companies i've worked with are, are obviously doing the right things um uh, they're doing a lot more and i think that a lot's changed especially over the last 10 years you know it's gone from maybe not being spoke of to being you know quite the quite the topic and and we are sort of riding a bit of a wave of it and i feel like we even though we're starting to understand certain things better i still like feel like we're just scraping the surface if i'm honest with you i feel like we've got such a long way to go but I feel like corporate organisations are trying harder to do things. Yeah. I feel like things like having, you know, people speaking about, you know, real life lived experience is, is, is key to, to, to sort of opening conversations. Uh, I, I feel like, you know, you hear great things, you know, people that are having like, you know, well-being, you know, giving people the opportunity to take a day off um, when they're, when they're not feeling great. But again, probably focusing on the, I say the key problems are maybe things like, 
uh, things like presenteeism where there's people showing up to work when they shouldn't really be there. It's got to a stage where, you know, they're about to burn out and all that happens is if you don't take that step back, you're just going to find yourself taking yeah. longer off. And then are people actually taking time off though? Because not everyone feels like they can because they're scared of the the sort of, are they, are they capable then of doing, you know, that's all these thoughts that kind of go on, but you know, it, having, mental health first aiders in the business is, is a great thing, but it's also good to, for businesses to understand that that isn't all you need. Like you can't, you can't have a mental health first aider. You can't, Oh, I'm going to pay for 12 mental health first aiders to be trained up as mental health first aiders. We'll bring Ollie in to go and train them up. And then all of a sudden they can manage the whole business. Like yeah. there's all of a sudden qualified therapists. This is not what we teach. Like we're not teaching people to say, you can diagnose someone with a mental illness and you can support yeah. them through this journey. And if they're suicidal, you have to look after them every single step of the way. Actually, the whole key and, you know, to the whole course is to managing yourself. It's understanding that self-care, like what things do you do to help yourself? And if you're not in that right mindset, you don't support that person. You, yeah. You've got 11 other people in the business who can support you. Yeah. But it's also the business have to understand as well that, you know, the whole weight of the business can't be on these 12 people if they've got 12 people, yeah. um, you know, and, you know, thankfully, you know, a lot of the business we're working with, they're doing more than that, you know, and having, you know, workshops and things during like key dates of the year and things like that, you know, talking about it. And, and I'm not always a big fan of it, to be honest with you, because I feel like we should speak about it all year round. But if that's what, what it takes to have that that's conversation, the actually, then it's more important that we have an eating disorder day and we talk about, you know, eating disorders so yeah i think that you know things like mental health first aid is a brilliant and you know i i it was a very much a light bulb moment for me um because i never i never sort of wanted to go down the clinical route of becoming a you know becoming a, a therapist or anything like that it never appealed to me mm -hmm. um my my message has always been about hope you know lived experience and um, and this ties in perfectly with it because we're not saying you you have to do this. You, we're saying to you, this is like an unbelievable skill set where you're going to learn every single element pretty much of mental illness, pretty much a whistle-stop tour. You're going to have a better understanding of things like psychosis. You're going to have a better understanding of pe how people might behave in certain situations when, you know, they 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 have phobias or they're going, you know, they have OCD or they've got, they're struggling with PTSD. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just, you know, it gives you a really, really good understanding of, like, mental health, mental illness as a as a whole. Yeah. Because we all have mental health, but we talk about mental health as been almost like a... You always think it's negative, right? So when you talk about mental health, you always think, oh, it's going to be, you know, you look in the newspapers, oh, the person had poor mental health. But you never see anyone say, like, you know, you wouldn't see me do a roly-poly into the room and say, I'm having... I've got good mental health today. You know, I'm, you, know you just don't talk about it in that way. And it's always got... It's, it, again, that that word sort of carries quite a lot of weight. So you know, it's understanding that we need mental health. We need if we didn't have it, we wouldn't function. We wouldn't live. You know, we need anxiety. If we didn't have anxiety, we'd probably, you know, a car was coming towards. We probably wouldn't move. Do you know what I mean? Like you're crossing a road. It's like we need these things in our life. It's just it's a problem when 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 they're left and and it, it and it's and it's and it's a regular thing. And 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 the and the absolute key is that early intervention. It's so important, you know, it's getting that person to see a professional as soon as possible, getting that person the right help, the right support as soon as we can. And 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 support doesn't have to come in a professional element. I think for me, 
Uh, and, you know, one thing I really champion is a, a website called the Hub of Hope. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but heard. it's very much like like a, the sort of yellow pages for mental health services and support. And, you know, all you do is it's an app. You put your postcode in there uh, and it brings up every single local support group within your area. And you'll be very surprised what's around you. You know, there'll be, you know, I've put it in and there's like, you know, support groups on anxiety within like a half a mile radius of my house. There's support groups on OCD a mile away. You know what I mean? These are all available. There's an Andy's Man Club 100 metres from my house. I never even knew it was there. Like it's around wow. the corner in a rugby club. And, and and that's thanks to having that app. I know what's available to me. And it's not always about taking that professional route because not everyone wants it. Not everyone wants to sit and spend 10 minutes with a doctor and then wait potentially two years to see a therapist. You know, you can get immediate help that's free and you can talk to people who are, you know, real people going through real struggles. But then you've got people who are probably, you know, who are, who are running the groups that have also got real struggles. And, you know, sometimes you just need people, I think, and surrounding yourself with people who understand your your what you're going through and you know and then building them connections and them relationships can be so important and don't get me wrong professional help's key go in and get that professional help make sure you know if you need medication you get it make sure you get on that wait list if you don't have you know if you don't have access to private therapy you get on that wait list as soon as you can but in the meantime there's so many amazing things around you you know, you can, there's affordable therapy, the sliding scale therapy, you know, on the hub of hope where you pay what you can pretty much afford, you know, it's accessible, it's there and it's available, but people just don't know it's there. Uh, I think that's, that's, you know, that's the message that, you know, you know, we need to get these people talking and um, amongst these people who understand them. Cause I, I did not believe anyone else was going through what I was going through. Mm-hmm. I thought like no way anyone's having these thoughts. No, no chance. But, you know, by putting myself amongst people and creating sort of, you know, a network of people who actually understand me, you feel very less alone with what you're going through and everything sort of changes and you can create a better life yourself or a different life or, you know, and, 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 and that's, that's the main thing. And with Run For Your Mind, it's now a foundation, you know, we turn it, I turn it into a foundation. Uh, I'm focusing predominantly on youth now, youth mental health, um, offering the talks in the schools, but then, I offer packages for for for, um, for students to have. Um, they get a pair of Nike running trainers, a full run for your mind kit, a free month running plan through this partner app we've got that's on on an app that you know oh. it's all personalised plan. And then we meet up sort of like once every two two weeks on online to discuss the progress. Uh, and it's like it's something that's accessible where, um, like I say, where you know when you're waiting in the meantime to see maybe cams through through schools or maybe you know therapists. It, the wait's too long. Like people are, you know, people are, are losing their lives to this. Like, and, and, you know, and I don't really, you know, think I can blame the NHS. I just think it's, it, they, they're doing all they can. It's just, it's just more and more prevalent. And there's, there's more problems, you know, and more people are opening up and they're opening up. People are thinking, oh, why is everyone suddenly opening up? They're opening up because we're encouraging people to speak out. Mm. But how they keep up with the demand, I don't know. But that's why we've got things like, the hub of hope. That's why we you know, I'd like to, you know, I can't help millions, but if I can, you know, help people, young people who are maybe going through similar things to I was at school, you know, use running as a form of therapy, use running as a form of, you know, getting back up on their own two feet. And there's something very, very special about moving forwards. You know, like for me, this running, moving forwards is is the absolute the key. And and running for me has been, yeah, everything. Some days I might need three miles, some days I'll 
run all day. I feel sorry for my wife. She's like, where are you? I'm like, I'm, I'm in living Leeds. So I'm, in, I'm in Bradford. I won't be back in about an hour and a half. But it's like, you know, it's been the making of me. And 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 I, the best way for me to describe it is I've got OCD still. It's it's not going away. I've not overcome it. It stays and it's there. But the further I run uh, or the more I run, the, the easier it gets. And some days, you know, I might have a bad day. I might need to run further and it feels like it's chasing me. But eventually it calms down and, and and that's what I live for really. And I, I live for that and I live now for, you know, trying to make a, a little bit of a difference in this world that was so cruel to me for so many years. Like, And it makes me quite emotional, but like if I can do something or give something back, then actually, you know, that's all that matters really right now mm-hmm. for me. And that's that's the main thing. Well, I'm excited to keep in touch over the 100 Talks for Change and see how that goes. I will be sharing and documenting anything that you you put out there. So I'll be resharing and things like that. But if you want to tell the camera where people can find you, um, you know, for Run For Your Mind, for the 100 Talks for Change, you know, tell people where they can find you. Yeah, so if, you, if you're wanting to follow my journey further, I'm Run For Your Mind on Instagram. Uh, I my, my business is... It was lights on mental health. It's just changed to lights on well-being. So um, we changed the name slightly. Um, we offer mental health training. We have speakers. We offer workshops in schools and in, in colleges, but also in corporate. So yeah, if you want to reach out, it's www.lightsonwellbeing.com. The hundred talks for change. Give us a give us a follow on Instagram, and it's www.100talksforchange.com. Thank you. Perfect. Well, I'll be putting it in the description anyway. Amazing. Um, so people can find it on there. But thank you so much for coming on and we will see you on the next one. Looking forward to it. Cheers, mate. Take care.